Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. everybody it's me Stu Helm the food fan here at food fan headquarters and I have another special guest today I have Chelsea Harry from rhubarb and the rue and Chelsea you and I have known each other for a long time I'm so happy to have you on the show thanks for being here I'm so glad to be here thanks for having me sure thing um you and I as I said have known each other for years now through rhubarb I'm pretty sure that that's where we met I think so and so, how long has rhubarb been around now? Uh, we just celebrated our ninth birthday last month. So, October 14th was nine years for rhubarb. <laughs> right on, right on. And are you guys planning a big 10-year anniversary? Ten, ten's like a round number, so we like to celebrate those. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, I'm not sure what we'll do in the restaurant, but I'm sure we'll do something. Um, you know, this year... Um, we we sort of revamped uh, Sunday supper as as you know um, yeah. is not quite in conjunction with our birthday but certainly uh, with a good timing to sort of revisit our core values and uh, a lot of the things that make rhubarb rhubarb um, and be able to share those with people um, so I think ten will be even more exciting but okay. um, we did have we did have a big bash with our employees on Halloween which was fun that's nice. <laughs> And since you brought these things up, let's talk about them. Let's revisit the core values of rhubarb because I walk past rhubarb a lot with my tours and I always talk about y'all. And uh, I I know what I say about rhubarb. (laughs) Let's hear what you say about rhubarb. Sure. Um, so I I also talk about rhubarb a lot. Um, that is uh, a lot of what I... Um, so I've been at Rhubarb for five years and um, couldn't imagine myself working anywhere else at this point in time. <laughs> don't, nice. don't plan on going anywhere. Yeah. That's great um, to hear. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that is because I have been in the service industry since I was 15, worked in a lot of different restaurants. Um, and, you know, the service industry uh, is my home. It's my passion, but it's also got, you know, it's got its own foibles for sure. It does. Um, so I've worked for some people who uh, go the benign, some owners who go the benign neglect method, you know, and they're just sort of like, yeah, it just does what it does. The restaurant's there. I've worked for some amoral owners who are just average middle of the road and some some immoral people. Okay. Who, yeah, you know, who who did things that I left quickly because I didn't approve of. Right on. <laughs> But working at Rhubarb uh, very much aligns with me because John is John is a good man. John Fleer, our owner, is a good man, um, and he more importantly runs his business like one. So he um, has made a home for all of us at Rhubarb, and uh, a lot of my job is to continue to make it a good place to work um, and to be, uh, and for guests to come into. Um, so our our actual first core value, the first thing that it says in our handbook, is. Um, that hospitality, genuine hospitality is our mission. Um, So welcoming everybody to the table (laughs) is is what we want to do. Um, And then, 
you know, the, the biggest thing for John is that, uh, rhubarb needs to be a restaurant that has an impact. So, um, he has built a lot of relationships with farm partners. Um, so that is, you know, farm to table has become a very, uh, catchy word. You know, you can tag it on open table profiles and, you know, people use it to describe, um, sort of a, a general, like new American style of cooking. Um, yep. But at Rhubarb, we use it to, to legitimately mean that we order directly from our farm partners. <laughs> and yeah. <then> goes- <laughs> Let me just interrupt to say that the, the term farm to table gets used and abused, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, there was a time when McDonald's even had a farm to table salad on the menu. And I was yeah. like, that's just not true. You know, people use it to describe any vegetable, right? right. Like any fresh vegetable, because they're all from farms. Right. But what it literally means is there's no food broker in between the grower and the maker. Exactly. And And that happens at rhubarb. It does. And we don't use Cisco or U.S. Foods. Um, You know, you might see their trucks in Pack Square, but you don't see them in front of rhubarb. (laughs) That's so funny. I have funny stories about chefs yelling at the Cisco truck to get out. Go around the back. (laughs) That's right. Um, So we do, um, you know, order farm direct, work with local purveyors and not just for produce. You know, vegetables certainly are a large part of what we order, um, but also proteins, uh, creameries, you know, Asheville blessed to have so many amazing makers Um, so proteins uh produce products and even the practices that uh you know rhubarb uses in its uh cooking um are you know steeped in appalachia so it's very meant very much meant to be an homage to to western north carolina (laughs) well this Um, is what i tell my tourists is that john's mission and correct me if i've got this wrong or or even if i'm just a little off um, John's mission is to introduce the culinary world to Appalachian traditions. 100%. That's absolutely. Um, there was actually just a, a book release called Edible NC, and we hosted the the book release party for it because it was all about uh, John is is in it. There's a small a small tribute to John. Um, nice. But amazing, you know, Southern foodways uh, historians like Ronnie Lundy. Um, you know, Ashley Caps is in it as well. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, she and Stravis are in there for New Stock uh, Pantry. Um, but it's a great, great book, and it celebrates all sorts of uh, food ways that you find in North Carolina. So it's called Edible NC, um, as well as, you know, um, some of those makers that I mentioned um, and uh, distilleries that we have and just sort of all of the food ways that sort of make up the very uh, localized piece of North Carolina. Um, and that's... Uh, John tries to drill it down even further and very much focus on Western North Carolina and Asheville in particular. That's right. Totally different food uh, traditions uh, on the East Coast (laughs) than there are in the mountains. A lot of seafood, of course, in certain parts of North Carolina. Up here in the mountains, we do get great seafood um, import, like brought in from other parts of the state and country. We do have our own mountain trout up here that we love. (laughs) Um, but yeah, the foodways up here in the mountains are much different than those in the Piedmont and the flatland and the coast. They are. Um, And, you know, and a lot of that preservation, um, those preservation techniques, um, because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, holding onto older foodways or more indigenous foodways, um, you know, we, we cure things with sumac and, um, (laughs) uh, confit things, you know, confit, uh, sounds like a fancy, fancy thing that you see in restaurants, but it's actually an old preservation technique. You know, it's, it's, it's storing something, cooking something in fat and storing it because you didn't have refrigeration. So you're creating a 
barrier between the air and the meat. So um, yeah. confit sounds very fancy, but it's actually um, a very simple technique to preserve what you could harvest and hold on to um, and is very Appalachian. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I have been myself researching a little bit about the history of canning and preserving um and uh they they've been canning stuff for a long time and yeah they would can it in fat and back in the day they used to can little birds like they used to eat a lot of birds that we don't eat these days <laughs> and so you could buy a can with a bird encased in fat like and then you'd travel with that it was made for traveling and stuff um yeah partridge kind of fascinating what's that a partridge in a jar Absolutely. Like sounds kind of creepy and fascinating and delicious at the same time. Sure. Um, so let's, let's talk about your Sunday suppers, which have now morphed into your Tuesday table. Absolutely. And I, I attended one a few weeks ago. There was so much food. I'm telling you what, by the time the, <laughs> by the time the entree showed up, I was already like, man, I'm full. I took some <laughs> semi-symbolic bites of the entree. You know, I wanted to eat it while it was fresh, hot and delicious. And uh, it was some fried chicken. And of course it's the best when it's just fresh out of the um, right. oven, uh, out of the kitchen. And uh, it was great, but I brought a ton of it home and reheated it several times over for uh, lunch and dinner the next day. And man, the whole thing was great. Let me just cut to the chase. What a great experience. Tell us more about Sunday supper and why it's now Tuesday table and what happens. For sure. So Sunday Supper was a program that John instituted when he first opened Rhubarb, um, and it carried us through March of 2020. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it's a prefix menu. So and it comes with um, it's a you know for the first course is served family style um, and just kind of comes out as ready um, and comes to the table like you know mom cooking Thanksgiving dinner. She just brings stuff out as it's hot, making room in the oven for more stuff. Right. <laughs> um, so it comes with all the snacks. There's usually four. Um, and then uh, an entree also served family style. And um, when Sunday supper first started, we had a uh, communal seating. So it's what we call the family room at rhubarb. And it used to be all large party tables. Um, so we would essentially do one seating at 630 um, and fill all those seats uh, cruise ship style. So you would be seated. You could make a reservation for one. I could make a reservation for four. Um, and you and my party and, you know, two other people would be sitting together at a table for seven. Right. Um, yep. Uh, so for obvious reasons, we stopped that in March of 2020. <laughs> um, the whole world went on pause for a little while. Yeah. Um, but restaurants in particular went on pause. Um, and then. Of course, the communal seating aspect was um, not something we were able to do for the entirety of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, into 2021, obviously with COVID still being around, even as restrictions were lessened, you know, because before it was six feet of distance in between tables. Yeah. Um, even as those were lessened, uh, most people didn't feel super comfortable going outside of their bubble. Um, myself included. <laughs> yeah, like everybody, it's weird. Like just regular attitudes have changed about how close we all want to be towards around other people in terms 100%. of booking events and mm -hmm. things like yep. that. It's more difficult than it, it used is. to be. Yeah. yeah, when we actually have less tables in rhubarb than we did in 2019 or the early 2020. Um, Interesting. Still now in 2022, right. um, because of that, because you know it used to be four two tops on a banquette because you know mm -hmm. you elbow to elbow and right. uh, people sort of accepted that as as part of being in a downtown restaurant. Absolutely. Um, 
but we're not quite back there yet as a society. So we've we've taken that into consideration. So we have um, a few less tables just so that we can create more space in between tables. Right. Um, and and just, you know, be aware of, of that for our guests as well as for our employees um, and, and just being mindful of, of how close you want to be. So, and that's important um, to get across because that was one of my questions when you invited me to come try the Tuesday table. I was like, is it going to be communal seating like it was before? And uh, just going to admit right now, I am not a fan of communal seating. And that's because <laughs> I am a weird, lonesome person that likes to sit either by myself or just with my girlfriend. Um, and so I was relieved, actually, that you guys put me at a table by myself when I showed up. And so I think that's a plus. You know, there was a time when I would have said the opposite, that the communal seating, even though it's not my preference, would be the the plus like that's one of the gets oh this is a chance to come and sit with strangers friends and family um these days i'm saying opposite you know it's a plus, <laughs> it's a plus that you guys have ratcheted that back so what makes the tuesday table special now is not the communal seating but the way the dinner comes out and that it's it's cooked for however many people are in your party Exactly. So we still like to, you know, so instead of having a communal seating, you bring your own community. So we right. take reservations of, of one to 10 guests. Um, and 10 is big these days. That's a, like a lot of people are limiting it at six. I know. Yeah. And well, you can only book six online, but okay. we take up to 10. If you okay. Follow. Good to um, know. <laughs> that's it. Um, that's know. the secret. <laughs> um, but uh, so we do these, you know, hope that people bring their own communities. And also, um, you know, you said Tuesday nights are for locals downtown. And I feel I feel that in my soul. And, and you talked about how much food there is. And that's really the goal of Tuesday Table is that um, one, connecting with locals who, you know, maybe have have been to rhubarb or haven't been to rhubarb in a while. Mm -hmm. um, but are looking for something different because the menu changes each week. And while the rhubarb menu is, is farm to table and it does change in small ways, you know, um, the chicken will be largely similar. And maybe instead of radicchio tomorrow, it has escarole. And then the mm -hmm. next day it has tetsu squash. And so those small changes, but that in general, the chicken is the same. Um, and on Tuesday table that goes out the window. <laughs> right. Anything goes. Is it like right. chef's choice, what the farmers have brought them, what they feel like cooking? Yeah. It's in the it's seasonal the mode. Um, yeah. we, it's been actually really fun to let our culinary team really, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of freedom to stretch. So we did um, a couple of homages to other uh, Southern chefs. Um, last week's we did a tribute to Frank Stitt, um, one of our our executive shoe chef, uh, Davis Taylor, he is from Alabama, which is where Chef Frank Stitt is from. And he really um, brought fine dining to Alabama um, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, had studied, you know, abroad in France and in Provence and was really enamored with their actual like shopping at the market, taking, you know, the actual farm to table. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, style um, and sort of brought his, his what he learned globally back to Alabama, um, which is very much, you know, how how our ethos at Rebarb works. And um, he was an inspiration to our, our sous chef who is from Alabama and didn't really see anyone who had, you know, gone out and experienced the world and then was like, I'm going to do this back in my hometown. <laughs> nice. So your, your chefs, your sous chefs get a chance to express themselves to perhaps um, stretch a little bit and do something that they're not doing typically at rhubarb and, and really try to Southern, you know, and so uh -huh. uh, Tuesday yeah. table gives us a little bit of a chance to stretch that. Um, 
this week, uh, one of our, uh, our sous chef, Leah Brewer, um, she's a Burnsville native. So she grew up in Burnsville and, uh, she is doing a menu based on Cherokee foodways. So they're oh, cool. uh, Cherokee tribe inspired dishes this week, which is really exciting. Um, we're doing a whole animal next month. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this leads me to some of my more uh, practical questions. How do people find out about these? Should they sign up for a particular newsletter, follow you on Instagram? Like, what are the typical ways that people would find out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, at Rhubarb AVL is our Instagram, and it is the most active of our social media channels. Um, we do also post on Facebook, um, but, you know, the our Instagram reach is larger. Okay. <laughs> And a little more informal, you know, Facebook uh, is great for events and wine dinners and uh, more curated uh, happenings. But mm-hmm. for something that's happening every week, Instagram is sort of our our way to post stories and behind the scenes and get get the hype going. Um, so Instagram is probably our most active channel. Um, but the Tuesday Table website, we tra- or Tuesday Table menu, we try to have posted on the website by the Friday before. So you okay. can um, all the past menus are actually there too. So if you go online, either to menus or the about section, there's a Tuesday table section. Nice. Um, keep all the past menus so you can kind of see what what's up, what we've done, um, what what it's sort of inspired by. Um, and each menu has a little bit of a blurb about what inspired the menu or where it came from, um, what what the deal is. <laughs> okay, well that's that's great. So people can check out the archived menus and see the upcoming menu every Friday on the Rhubarb website and follow you on Instagram to get updates and a little bit behind the scenes and stuff. Yeah, um, we try to expand that narrative in social media channels, but always make sure we have the base the base on the website. <laughs> and and what are the hours at Rhubarb these days? Sure. Um, we are dinner only. Um, so we open at 5 p.m. every night of the week, including Tuesday. Um, and then we close at 9.30 during the week and 10 on Friday and Saturday. Okay. And uh, not open for lunch, but you got another venue that I love very much that is open for breakfast and lunch. And that is the Rue, R-H-U, short for Rhubarb. Um, It's actually back to back with Rhubarb. The front door of Rhubarb is on Biltmore Street. The front door of the Rue is on South Lexington. Um, And I'm in there quite often. I was in there just yesterday. (laughs) I had a pumpkin cheesecake bite and a cappuccino and both were excellent and i love the rue and you guys have been expanding your hours at the rue lately so let's start with that what are your hours at the rue these absolutely days? um the rue has uh really come into its own so it is counter service as opposed to full service at rhubarb um but that also means that you know if you're downtown and need a quick lunch you can order it online and then swing mm-hmm. by and pick it up which is mm-hmm. great um or go in and see what the selection of pastries are because they do change each day. Mm-hmm. Um, our amazing gluten-free oatmeal cream pies when they're there. So good. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best gluten-free food in the country. Happening uh, at absolutely. The absolutely. Yep. Gluten-free biscuits are life-changing. <laughs> Your regular biscuits are the best in Asheville, in my opinion. I um, I wholeheartedly agree. I might be biased, but I do agree. <laughs> I'm not biased. I eat them everywhere. Yours are the best. Sorry, everybody else have I have the truth it. Um, like and butter. so, but but you did expand your hours. You're now open what uh, Wednesday through Monday. Yep. So uh, the Rue is only closed on Tuesdays. Um, okay. And 
Who knows? That might Who knows? I have heard rumors. John, John Fleer himself told That's me right. it might happen, but That's right. no, no guarantees yet. No guarantees. Um, but uh, yes, so also working on expanding the kitchen space for the Rue. So we've expanded our pastry prep area um, okay. in part because we're doing Thanksgiving pies. So you can pre-order Thanksgiving pies on the-rue.com. Little plug. Okay. Yeah. Um but also in anticipation of trying to get more um, grab and go things ready to go at the Rue as well. So expanding. Ooh, good idea. Yeah. Kitchen um, options uh, going into the cold months of winter. Um, so you can grab hot lunch at the Rue or grab something cold to take home and reheat for dinner later. Perfect. I love the Rue. Uh, it's casual. It's comfortable. Smells good in there. Um, the pastries are like on display. So you can see what you're going to get. And it's hard not to get like one of everything sometimes because <laughs> they look real good. I will in particular recommend your almond croissant to people. It's fantastic. Uh, very big and flaky and has slivered almonds on top and a nice almond paste inside, you know, traditional. And it's excellent, though. And um, your sandwiches are great. Every time I do a Wednesday tour, I start with a sample of one of your sandwiches for my tour takers. And even though it's the first bite they eat, and then we have like six or seven more, they often <laughs> pick it as their favorite bite at the end of the tour. That's great to hear. Yeah, our sandwiches are really good. We do a house roasted pork loin on the Appalachian. I'm slightly addicted to it. It's really good. <laughs> your turkey and kale sandwich, when when turkey's available, it's, it's turkey season right now and you guys only source locally. So right. turkeys are all spoken for. So you've, that one's not available. Well, when it comes back, your turkey and kale sandwich is legendary. It is. It's so good. Um, you know, and we, we do all that prep in house too. So it gets smoked in house, sliced yep. in house and all of that too. So that's the other, the other piece of the roux. Um, it is a quicker service, but it is still all prepped in house and is all still very much, uh, with a local focus. So <laughs> it's yep. um, great quality, just, um, a little quicker. Absolutely. Some of the best food in Asheville, some of the best food I've ever had. And one of my favorite spaces, it is a tradition for me to have a pastry there right before I do a tour. Um, well, uh, Chelsea, we, uh, you agreed to do a little bit of food trivia for Mana Food Bank. <laughs> I sure did. Yeah, you did. And the way this works is that I'm about to ask you five food trivia questions for every question you get right. I'm going to pull $5 out of my pocket and give it to Mana Food Bank. Okay. For every question you get wrong, $5 come out of your pocket. Go I'm ready. I saved for it. All right. <laughs> you saved for it. Um, and I should tell you that these questions, now you're an, you're an expert on the rhubarb, Appalachian ways, fine dining, and all of that stuff. These questions have nothing to do with any of that. Perfect. Just what I was hoping for. These questions <laughs> have to do with food safety. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. We're going to rip right into it. Here's your first question, Chelsea, for $5 for Mana Food Bank. According to the CDC, 48 million people get sick, 128,000 people are hospitalized, and 3,000 people die from foodborne diseases each year in the United States. Which of these diseases is the most common? And it's a multiple choice. Is it salmonella? E. coli, listeria, or botulism, which is the most common form of death? Oh, I'm going to say E. coli. 
That is correct. You got one right. Very good for you. There was a really gross uh, E. coli lemon thing that happened in a chain restaurant a couple of years ago. Mm. Yeah. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> All right. So that's $5 out of my pocket, Chelsea. I'm not liking the way this is going so far. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I don't often sign up to be wrong, Stu, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope I can. questions, And I was like, well, they're pretty hard. So I'm ready. All right. Well, here, this, this one might be a little harder because it's not multiple choice. According to Wikipedia, over 4,000 food-related choking deaths occur in the United States every year, mostly in people two years old and younger or the elderly. What very popular food item causes the highest number of choking deaths in the USA? Oh. Um, food item. <laughs> yep. uh, More should... people choke on this than anything else. Oh, did you give an answer? I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I'm just going, I'm just guessing. Chicken bones is your yeah. answer. Yeah. Well, that might be true for household pets, but no, you are wrong. It is hot dogs. Oh hot dogs pose the greatest risk as they cause more choking deaths than any other food. Other foods that pose a high risk of choking include hard candy, nuts, seeds, whole grapes, raw carrots, apples, popcorn, peanut butter, marshmallows, chewing gum, and sausages other than hot dogs. Oh my goodness. How does one choke on peanut butter? I am not sure. Eat it way okay. too fast, maybe. And it gets all crammed up and lodged in your throat. Yeah, I'm a creamy girl, not a chunky girl. So, it, you know, I've never choked on peanut butter, but I'm I'm going to hot dogs, man. Didn't see be, that. Coming. Be careful. <laughs> don't don't gag on those glizzies, people. Um, <laughs> all right. Next question. Uh, and you're down one. So that's one right. for you, one for me uh, or both are for mana. That's perfect. Yeah. Everyone's uh, a winner. Everyone's a winner, except for me and you. Uh, yeah. We're going to lose a little bit of money no matter what. All right. Next question. Fugu is the famous Japanese word for puffer fish. The dish prepared and the dish prepared from the puffer, puffer fish is also called fugu, which can be lethally poisonous, up to 1,200 times more deadly than cyanide. A single fish has enough poison to kill 30 people if prepared incorrectly and kills up to 100 people annually. Which of the following is another dangerous food that people still insist on eating? So it's a multiple choice. One of these things is real. The other three are completely made up. Oh, perfect. Okay. The first one is, <laughs> is called kakishi, and it's a stew made from goat brains that kills up to 13 people annually. The next one is called sanak, sanakchi, a dish of raw octopus tentacles that kills up to six people annually. The next one is call, called homaka, and it's a rotten bread complete with maggots that kills 12 people annually. And, and the oh. fourth one is called chum chum, and it's a popular spread in Scandinavia made from fermented eels that kills three people annually. So kakishi made from goat brains, sanakshi made from raw octopus tentacles, homaka, rotten bread with maggots, or chum chum, a fermented spread made out of eels. Which of those is real? Oh, God, I wish none of them were. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the, the goat brain stew. Thank you. I made that up completely. All <laughs> right. Yeah, I just, uh, it was fun making these ones up. You know, what's going to kill people? Um, 
And uh, so the answer, though, is sanakchi, which is a Korean dish consisting of live baby octopus tentacles seasoned and served while still wriggling. Suction cups on the tentacles will still stick to your throat and choke you to death. That's horrifying. And about six and people still eat this stuff. It's a challenge. And about six people a year die from it. Oh, my goodness. Well, but, but hot dogs are deadlier. Go the figure. hot dogs are even deadlier just because of popularity, I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but my here's my tip to people out there. Don't eat baby live octopuses. Come on. Um, all right. The, the, here's the last one. Uh, the number one cause of injuries in commercial kitchens. Is it cuts and lacerations, burns and scalding, slips, trips and falls, fist fights, or strains <laughs> and sprains? Uh, slips, trips, and falls. You got it. Yeah. I knew you would get that one. That was a gimme. Working with so many foods and liquids can create constant wet areas on floors, making slips the number one hazard in commercial kitchens. Over half of kitchen injuries are a direct result of staff members slipping, losing balance, and ultimately falling onto nearby apparatus or appliances. All right, Chelsea. Well, you did better than most. You broke my heart by getting two of them right. That's $10 out of my pocket, 15 out of yours for Mana Food Bank. And everybody, I am trying to raise $5,000 for Mana before December 31st. We are a little over halfway there. We got a little less than a month and a half to do it. And uh, I want to thank you for playing along. And I want to encourage everybody to check out my fundraiser on Facebook. Make your donation through Facebook if you can. That way it gets added to my total. And Chelsea, thanks again for coming on the show, telling us all about Rhubarb and the Rue and playing trivia with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great. And I hope you meet your goal for Mana. That's great. Thank you so much. And have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Stu. Hey everybody, it's me Stu Helma, Food Fan, and I am here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I have another special guest for y'all. Today, I have Molly Cook from Marble and Steel uh, Craft Chocolatiers. Did I get the whole name right, Molly? Yes, yeah, Craft Chocolates. <laughs> craft Chocolates. Well, welcome to the show, Molly. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Well, you brought me some chocolates last year, yep. and I loved them. <laughs> and then you brought me some just yesterday. You brought me yep. more. And I looked on your website this morning just to get a little um, background info. And you guys have really only been around for about a year. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did uh, about a pretty much a pilot season um, back in 2020 when everyone was, you know, stuck at home and trying to figure out what to do. And um we create we formed our LLC in 2021. So, you know, this past year has been like the first solid year of us with our website and our e-commerce. And yeah, so this is our second solid season that we're rolling into. It's kind of incredible. I bring that up because yeah. your packaging, your product, uh, your website, everything is just so perfect and so <laughs> dialed Thank in. You. I mean, like your packaging is really nice. And so Thank the you. fact that you're only a year or let's say two because you had your pilot year um, in is kind of incredible. And let's talk about your product a little bit. First of all, you dropped off. Let's see. I have the cheat sheet here. You dropped off your holiday, <laughs> your holiday flavor package for me. And this is the one that caught my eye on Facebook. It is so freaking cute. 
can we first start talking about this dang sugar cookie truffle that you yeah. made? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, every season I try to, you know, every holiday season, I, I like, I, I refer to season in terms of like chocolatier season. So that pretty much starts from September and then it ends in around Mother's Day. Okay. Say. So that's usually the biggest chunk of time. So usually um, we have our core menu that we have all the time. And I like to do special menus for the se- like the little holidays in the season. So that was our that was what we came up with with our menu this fall for the winter seasons. Well, I bring it up because you there are six flavors in your holiday pack. Uh, we have a dark peppermint, the sugar cookie I just mentioned apple cider caramel pumpkin pie gingerbread and eggnog cheese uh cheesecake and with mm-hmm. some cheese steak that would be <laughs> not a very good truffle um but these sound now i should confess you brought these over to me yesterday i have crushed one of the things you brought me and haven't touched any of the others so i haven't tried any of these just yet although i think some of these i had last year in the christmas pack yeah there's a couple that came back just because they were some big fan faves so which ones were the big fan faves? I'm going to guess pumpkin, the, yes. the pumpkin pie came back and the the dark peppermint came back. That's what I thought. I thought those were the two recurring ones. Now, I specifically mentioned the sugar cookie one because one thing I, that's hard to get across on in a podcast, which is audio for the most part, is how <laughs> freaking cute these things are. And I'm going to yeah. I do record a video, so I'm going to hold the piece of paper up. So I can take a screen grab of that when I post it. Mm -hmm. And um, the sugar cookie one is shaped sort of like a crescent, but it, and it's white on the outside and it has a little snowman's face on it. (laughs) It's so cute. Yeah. Now you guys are very artistic. Is that like one of your missions is to make not just delicious, but insanely cute chocolates as well? Yeah, so my, my both my husband and I's background, we worked at Norman Love Confections in Fort Myers, Florida, and they were one of the pioneers for the airbrushed chocolate trend. So applying okay. colored cocoa butter to molds and creating like now this explosion of color in your in your artistry and your and your flavors. So we were trained through that you know, uphill swing. And then when we moved here, um, there really wasn't any of that going on. And I just, I missed, you know, buying it for myself and enjoying it. And I was at home with our two kids and uh, I just, I just really missed that work that I did. So this, this is uh, my translation of the, the field that I love so much. So um, to me, you know, it makes such a huge difference when you open up that box and you have all these colors and everything's like kind of a nod to what's inside. So mm-hmm. the snowman and the, you know, the gingerbread one is like a nod to, Oh, that's a gingerbread. But the snowman was kind of just a fun little, like, Ooh, what's a nice little like facey cute one I can add to the box. So <laughs> I'm telling you what, yeah. like when I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and I saw that, and there's, six, as I mentioned, six chocolates in this box. And one of them is this little snowman that caught my eye, like, like nothing. Like I was just like, yeah. that is super cute. And then I was like, oh, it makes sense. It's marble and steel. And then I noticed the others and the others are beautiful too. I mean, they're not as cartoony yeah. and cute. They're more like refined and artistic. 
But this is something I really love about your chocolates, and they come in all kinds of fun shapes. So the the bigger box that you brought me has like sort of a hexagonal one that's an orange passion. I remember that from last year. That's a fantastically delicious yeah, truffle. That's one of our biggest selling flavors for sure. <laughs> well, it's visually so appealing. It looks like something you'd roll to play Dungeons and Dragons with, actually. <laughs> yeah. And uh and then you have heart-shaped ones, you got your regular box-shaped ones, some nice lozenge-shaped ones. Those are kind mm-hmm. of nice. I like those lozenge-shaped ones. They're yeah. Looks like you're about to take a chocolate pill. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> like that. that's what we call it. We call it the pill mold. Ah, that's great. Curious what's ailing you for sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, you mentioned your background a little bit, and I did a, I did a little dive into your About, about Us page, and um, you grew up around chocolate. Now, yep. t- tell us about this Glauber's Fine Candies. What is yeah. that? Yeah, that's my, um, my, my maternal grandfather's uh, family business. And I don't have it right in front of me, but it went for over a hundred years. It was like his great grandfather's. Um, and it was right. It was based outside of Towson, Maryland. So it was like kind of Baltimore outskirt area. Um, but it's, it was old school, like candies that were, that were filled with like taffies and caramels and buttercreams and where, you know, everything's, you know, chocolate colored inside, you know, um, and uh, his factory was actually in the house he grew up in, in the basement. I read that. That's <laughs> yeah. how unique for you as a kid to grow up around that. It was wonderful. And, well, and I only, they sold it and it kind of dwindled out when I was about like maybe 12, 13. Okay. So when I was very young, I was around that. And I was around the retail stores, you know, like helping my grandma and you know, doing they had like a Hallmark section. It was kind of like a candies cards gift store. Sounds wonderful. Um, and they had a few of them around there. So it was kind okay. of a big deal at the time. And if anyone's familiar with the Maryland area, there's a couple businesses that are like that. That that's just a big thing there is just old school chocolate shops with, you know, gifts and stuff. So that kind of dwindled when I was a teenager. And then uh, aside from that, I grew up around uh, Hershey PA, like just two miles from there. I read that. So, <laughs> so I worked at the Hotel Hershey and my brother worked at Hershey Park. Like we spent so much time there. So that was more like the commercial chocolate side. But um, when I went to culinary and pastry school and we started working with chocolate again, it just kind of reignited my oh actually I do want to like learn more about this like I really didn't know that much other than you know just some childhood memories so that's what led me to Florida where I did my internship and then my husband was already working there and he was there for about 15 years so I learned a lot of what I know from him as well so (laughs) yeah it just it just seemed like every turn in my in my career in my life but there was I just couldn't really escape chocolate so (laughs) oh we should all have that problem everywhere I turn there's chocolate um so it's almost like literally in your DNA it's definitely in your family tree and I'm sure that like the smell of candy triggers a lot of memories with you mm-hmm. from childhood. Um, you know, I don't know you very well, Molly, but every time I see you, you're smiling. I think <laughs> this must have something to do with growing up around in, in and around candy. And <laughs> that would be like a great, great to figure out. So people could use that. 
Yes. <laughs> the happiness pill. Start a, start a, a candy factory in your house and your children yeah. will grow up happy. Um, so let's talk about how people can find your chocolates, where you're selling them, because these packages, these boxes, I've already mentioned the packaging is very nice. The chocolates are very beautiful. There is a holiday gift pack and you have your regular line of chocolates mm -hmm. and they would all make fantastic gifts for yep. Christmas. Like, just like if you got a chocolate lover in your family, this is the gift for them. And if, if you don't have a chocolate lover in your family, you must have a very tiny family <laughs> of like one person who doesn't like chocolate because it's so popular. So where can people find these things? Yeah. So we kind of created, not kind of, we did create a chocolate kitchen in our house. So we got like department of ag certified and they were like, yep, you're good to go. So oh. until, <laughs> yeah. So people probably think we're nuts coming into our house when there's chocolate machines and tables everywhere, but um, yeah. So until we get a brick and mortar, we do a lot of our sales um, e-commerce. We ship all over the country um, and we have two toddlers, but I, I've been trying to add, um, pop-ups where I can. So I do a lot of like brewery pop-ups and I have a lot coming up in December. I'm doing uncommon holiday market. Um, I will make a post of where I'm going to be at in December pretty soon. Cause there's a, there's a lot of different spots. Okay. Um, I partner with Stone Ash Vineyards as okay. well. I haven't so, heard of them. They're in Hendersonville, like right, right, like right on the border of Fletcher and Hendersonville, right behind where I'm at. But um, they're they're just a mom and pop winery and they're doing pretty well. And they have our boxes as well as um, I'm going to be doing a pop up over there in December. So I'm kind of doing that whole Asheville small business kind of bop yeah, yeah. around town, do some do some pop ups. But I also um, people could place an order on my website and pick up. Um, I do a lot of like meetups sometimes okay. um, if I'm not <laughs> too crazy swamped. OK, um, so, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's okay, pretty so... rough and ready, but I I get it to the people somehow. You... But my my website, first and foremost, is the best way to figure out how to how to get how to get my stuff marble and steel chocolates.com yep marble and steel craft chocolates.com craft chocolates.com mm -hmm. marble and steel craft chocolates.com also follow you on social media instagram yep. facebook yep i'm pretty i'm pretty into I, I do a lot of uh conversating on instagram so if anyone okay. has any questions feel free to shoot me a message either there or on facebook and yeah and I, I'll, I'll we'll figure something out all right. arrangements. I'm sure it won't be hard for people <laughs> to get your chocolates. Um, yeah. People listening or watching outside of the area can have them mailed to them. People mm -hmm. in the area can arrange a meetup or uh, hook on into one of your pop-ups. Yep. Absolutely. And people of Asheville and everywhere, I am 100% recommending these chocolates for people. They are beautiful, delicious, creative in terms of the appearance and the flavors inside. And some of the cutest treats I've ever seen. And man, I give extra points for cuteness for sure. And uh, I just have one last question and then I'll let you go. And this one's not necessarily about you. I noticed on your website that you said you trained under an infamous chef named Susan Notter. And I had not heard of Chef Notter, N-O-T-T-E-R. And I just am dying to know what makes her so infamous. Wow. Okay. So um, Susan Notter and her um, 
one of her well her ex-husband a wald nodder e-w-a-l-d a wald nodder they were some pretty big chefs back in like 70s 80s 90s and they they pretty much pioneered sugar work so all the like okay pulled sugar blown sugar sugar ribbons um and they they were in Switzerland. I mean, they were all over Europe and they were all over the U.S. And back in like the 90s, early 2000s, they did a lot of competing. So they kind of set the bar for competitions, showpieces, um, teaching classes and okay. kind of brought the artistry of sugar and chocolate to pretty much the foundation of of how people learn from culinary school and pastry okay. school. So if, if anyone like picks up a, you know, I don't know, like a CIA book or, you know, and that, that's Culinary Institute of America. Um, yeah. uh, th- they're probably have a blurb in there. They're just one okay. of those old school chefs that like pretty much set the bar high okay. back then. And, and, and they kind of just are a good foundation for, where we're all at now. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like they took it to another level in the 70s, yeah. 80s, to a level where it is now. And this is just so interesting because the way you guys are operating out of your house, doing all this marketing, doing the pop-ups, having the great packaging, it just absolutely tells the tale of your life experience of your yep. grandparents having the factory in the house. And these folks, uh, the chef Nodder that you trained under or studied under um, or worked with, I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. she was she was the pastry arts director at the pastry school that I went to in Lancaster, okay. PA. So. so you studied under her and you learned from somebody who took chocolate, not just the making of, but the marketing of to another yep. level. So that just tells you that that's great. Like that's your arc right there. Yeah, a family that made candy in their house. You're making candies <laughs> in your house now. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Molly, I'll give you a, a minute to say whatever you want to the people. Rattle off your web address and and social media contacts again. Whatever you want to say, go ahead and tell the folks. Yeah, I mean, if you want to give us a follow, it's Marble and Steel Chocolates um, on Instagram, and then it's uh, Marble and Steel Craft Chocolates dot com for our website. And if you have any questions, we love doing custom work. We love doing weddings. Um, I get a lot of inquiries about stuff like that or just corporate boxes where, hey, I I want like this color to match my logo or, you know, uh, I want to I want a different ribbon color because this is the company I work for is, you know, this, you know, navy blue. Okay, Um, we do stuff like that a lot. And and it's it's easy for us to do that. just kind of breaks us off of our normal routine and get to we get to do something fun so I love um, it love inquiries like that but other than that that pretty much covers a lot of our bases and I'm always happy to answer questions all right chef well I really appreciate you bringing me some chocolates I'm gonna be eating chocolate all day today oh I wanted to mention you brought me that s'mores bar like yeah I crushed that. Like that's already gone. I was like, yeah. man, because I'll, I'll, that one you said wasn't quite packaged yet. And I wanted to wait for daybreak uh, before I took pictures. So I was like, all right, I can take some pictures of this one because it's not in a package. Yeah. So I took some pictures of it and then I was like, I'll eat a little piece. And then, man, the whole thing was gone. Every time I put that one out, I always sell out. It's just one of those tried and true combos that people love. 
So it's a <laughs> thick chocolate bar with mini marshmallows and graham cracker all mixed into it. Yeah, and I actually toast the marshmallows first so that you get kind of that like caramelized marshmallow taste. That might have been the flavor I was detecting because I was going to ask you, the, the cho- I thought the chocolate itself seemed to have a special flavor, almost like there was some Madagascar or vanilla or something in there. Like I wasn't sure, but it had a particular flavor. Maybe it was simply the caramelized marshmallow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, we use uh, we use nothing but Swiss chocolate. So the chocolate itself is like, there's just so many like levels of flavor and, yes. and like the smoothness of it. It makes it, like such a high quality product to work with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just wanted to take it a step further other than just folding marshmallows together with it. Like when you eat a s'more, you want that little bit of like, you know, Fire. sugary bite to it so a little smoke the little fire on it that comes from toasting it well chef cook uh thank you so much for joining me today and telling everybody about your chocolates i certainly enjoy looking at them as well as eating them and i encourage everybody to uh reach out to you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure all right chef have a great day thanks you too All right, everybody, that's pretty much the end of the show. I just want to do a little segment of what'd you eat, where'd you eat, because I got one of my favorite things at one of my favorite places. And it's also one of my mom's favorite places, and that is a Bayhaz House Cafe out on Hendersonville Road. If you haven't been there yet, get on out there. It's great. I am fixated on the NOLA chicken and shrimp. So New Orleans style chicken and shrimp. Uh, Sounds like a weird combination on the plate. Uh, and but it's not weird at all. It's delicious. It comes with rice and beans and a beautiful orange sauce that I could eat by the bucket full. And whenever I get this dish, I just crush it. And I'm I, like I said, I'm fixated on it. So I don't usually vary. But when I do the other food at a bay house, is great. And my mom does vary a lot from her. Uh, she doesn't really have a usual thing. She has things that she loves there, like the stuffed French toast and the shrimp and grits. But she tends to eat off menu and go with the special, and she's always happy. So a Bayhaz House Cafe on Hendersonville Road, I am recommending the NOLA chicken and shrimp, and my mom is recommending the daily specials. Uh, and then we, I just wanted to mention that on Food Tour, I've been getting some amazing, amazing food from Modesto, the Italian restaurant owned by Chef Hector Diaz in the Grove Arcade building right downtown. Don't sleep on Modesto. It's one of the best, most creative restaurants in town. Chef Hector always busts out something special for Food Tour that's usually not on the menu. And it's just wonderful. Like he did this fish fritter last week that was kind of creamy on the inside and very crispy on the outside. Woo, it was really good. I don't eat at every stop on every food tour because then I would be as big as a house. But I do like to include myself on the Modesto food tour. Stop. When we go into Modesto with the food tours, I do like to include myself because the food is not always large, but it is always exciting. So I can eat it without turning into that house I just mentioned. And then finally, I do get the pizza of the month delivered every month from Asheville Pizza South by Drew Peterson. And this week's or this month's pizza of the month is a birria pizza. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I'll just I did record a little segment with Drew on my front porch. So 
So I'll let him speak for himself, and then I'll come back and tell you more. Hey, everybody. It's me, Stu Helm, the food fan, and I am standing on my front porch with Drew Peterson from Asheville Pizza South. Uh, every We try to hit the first Saturday of the month, but I was out of town this month. But uh, towards the beginning of the month, Drew brings me his pizza of the month for me to try. And, Drew, this looks amazing. What do we have here, brother? Well, it is a slow-cooked uh, beef Berea uh, style beef. Uh, we slow cook it for about 24 hours. Uh, Oaxacan cheese and fresh mozzarella. On the side, you have some extra dip and Berea sauce. Thank you. Um, some onions and cilantro and lime. Uh, some extra lime wedges just to squirt on there. And then some uh, salsa verde. Nice. All for dipping, or you can dump it on top, whatever you want to do. Uh, the dough is actually, we made the dough with Berea sauce in it. Okay. Um, and then we fry it, and then we, you know, bake it with the stuff on top. Fantastic. Super good. Uh, this is the third, fourth pizza you've brought me of your pizza of the I month. I think so, yeah. They've been banging, uh, brother. Thanks, I want to encourage everybody yes. to get down to pizza, Asheville Pizza South, pizza um, and try this pizza, try their other pizzas. The winners of the 2022 <laughs> WNC pizza fight. pizza fight. Yeah, this one is definitely limited to how much we have in stock. We've been having trouble <laughs> keeping up with prep, honestly. Uh, it's, it's a, there's a lot of prep that goes into it. But um, please, if you can get one, come get one. Yeah, please. order ahead of time. Yes, order, ahead, order early if you can. All sure. right. Well, thank you, Drew. I can't wait to tuck in. Yes, yes. So, yeah, that pizza was awesome. It was awesome, folks. Do not forget that Asheville Pizza South won the WNC pizza fight. Like, they won the big pizza competition we did at the beginning of the year. And they have a pizza of the month that every month, month after month, has been awesome. Some of my favorite pizzas I've ever had. So get yourself this one and try to get that pizza of the month every month. Thank you, Drew Peterson, for delivering that. And folks, thanks for listening to the show. And please follow me on social media, Stu Helm Food Fan on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter while it lasts. Oh my gosh, what's happening with Twitter? And then YouTube, Substack. I've got a new podcast that I do with Alex Knighton, formerly of Bears Barbecue. It's all about J.R.R. Tolkien, and it's called Mountain Geek Moot. So look for that on YouTube. Please donate to my Mano Food Bank fundraiser this year. And please donate to WPVM 103.7, a public radio station who kindly takes my weekly podcast and turns it into a radio broadcast. Thank you for listening, Asheville. And thanks to my two guests, Molly and Chelsea. I'll talk to you all real soon. Eat something delicious and let me know about it. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.